Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. My dear brothers, my dear sisters, and our risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't water your grass, you're not going to have grass for very long. If you cut onions, you might start to tear up. Your eyes get a little watery. If you are not going to be home when you told your wife and loved ones that you were going to be home, you might want to send that text to let them know you're going to be late. Some things you learn to take for granted. Some things you learn by sitting in the school of experience, let's say. Experience is a powerful teacher, isn't it? And it's hard to go against what we have learned by experience. Experience teaches you, you got to water your grass. Experience will teach you onions aren't so kind to your eyeballs. Experience will teach you, you should let someone know if you're not going to do what you said, if you're not going to be home when you said you would. Experience teaches us that dead people stay dead. All the disciples' life, no matter how many people they had seen pass away, be placed into a coffin, and be buried, they had never once ever seen a dead body get up and start breathing again and walk out of that grave and start talking and eating and laughing. So the disciples had just been traumatized by watching their closest friend, their dear leader, their dear teacher Jesus, hung on a cross and every ounce of life was drained from him. The disciples watched as their dear Jesus was taken off that cross, lifeless and limp, He was dead. There was no doubt about it. It was a dead body that they were putting into that grave. So experience would tell them they were never going to talk to Jesus ever again. They were never going to laugh with Jesus ever again. They were never going to eat with Jesus ever again. So we can cut them some slack when they see Jesus appear in their midst and he says, peace be with you peace. The disciples were going through anything but peace. Peace was so far from their minds. They had just watched Jesus die, and our text says that they were locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. They had learned in the school of experience that dead people stayed dead, and according to their life experience, it made sense that if a group of people had so much clout and influence that they could have an innocent man tried, condemned, and executed, having committed no crime whatsoever, then what is that same group of people going to do to his friends, to his disciples, to his recognizable followers? It makes sense that they were afraid. So Jesus, knowing this, he says, Peace be with you. And this is not just a greeting. Jews in that time in Jesus' day and still today sometimes greet each other with a shalom, which means peace. But this was not just an empty wish. It wasn't just Jesus saying, hey guys, what's up? Jesus, when he says peace, he gives what he says. And it works. 
Our text says that the disciples go from complete abject fear into being overjoyed. Their world is changed, and they are happy to see Jesus. As he shows them the very wounds that took his life. He shows them that he indeed died, but he did not stay dead. He changes their world by upsetting a truth that they had taken for granted their whole lives. The dead no longer stay dead. But one of them wasn't there. The train had left the station. The disciples' worlds were rocked. Their whole lives were changed. Their whole reality was changed. But Thomas was left at the station. Thomas did not get to see Jesus when he appeared that first time. And so when Thomas does reunite with the disciples, they tell him, we have seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. The dead don't stay dead anymore. But Thomas is still hanging on to that thing that he has learned by experience. You have to understand what Thomas is going through. The disciples are asking him to give up something he has accepted to be true his whole life just because they say so. Thomas is not willing to do that. Thomas says, I'm not just going to give up my presuppositions. I'm not going to just change my perspective because of what you say. No, I need to be really, 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 really sure before I do that. So show me. If Jesus is alive, show me. Because it's really hard to go against what we have learned in the school of experience. If somebody walks up to you while you're watering your lawn and says to you, hey, you know, you don't have to water your grass anymore. It will thrive even if you don't. You'll say, get out of here. If you go grab a drink with a buddy after work and you look at your phone and it's getting late, you say, I really should text my family that I'm not going to be home when I said I would. And your friend says to you, no, don't. They're not going to mind. They don't care. You're going to say, of course they will. I'm going to send that text, right? It's hard to go against what we have learned in the school of experience, even if someone is sitting there telling you the opposite. It's hard to just take somebody's word for it, isn't it? So God says in his word that he will provide. But the school of experience has taught you Through experiencing the account being overdrawn time and time again, you have to be late on rent again next month, and you open the fridge and it's sparser than you would like it to be, experience is telling you the opposite of what God said. God says in his word, he has a plan, that he's in control, and that you can trust him. But what does experience seem to suggest? That tragedy can strike at any second. That at any second we can get a phone call that we never wanted to get in our entire lives. That any second terrible things can happen to good people. It doesn't seem like control. It doesn't seem like there is a plan. Experience will say. God says in his word that you are forgiven. That you are loved. But what does your experience tell you? You have experienced the terrible and disgusting things that you have done. Maybe those verses about forgiveness are talking about someone else. 
because you've experienced your own sin. It is hard to go against what we have learned by experience. So what does Jesus want? It's hard for us not to be like Thomas and to ask for just a little bit extra. Jesus, just peel back the curtain just a little bit. Help us to see that we're not just blindly following you. Help us to see that if we put our trust in you, that it will work out in the end. That if we commit ourselves to doing your will, that it's going to be worth our while. Just show us somehow that it'll pay off. Or does God want blind faith? Is Jesus asking us to blindly trust him, to never ask for proof? Well, how did Jesus deal with Thomas's demand for proof? Let's look back at our lesson. Jesus, or Thomas said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There it is, right? Blind faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There Jesus is advocating that we be like the lemming. You know what a lemming is? That little rodent where their mob mentality, their migratory patterns are so strong that if they're migrating together and the lemmings in the front go off the cliff, the rest of the herd will go with them and run off to their death, blindly following the leader. That seems to be what Jesus is asking us to do, isn't it? No. No. Jesus is not afraid of proof. Jesus is not too sheepish to give you evidence. Jesus is not too weak to provide the reason for you to trust in him. And Jesus says, it is worth your while. You can trust him. You can take him at his word. And that's exactly what John says next. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, normally if you're writing an essay, you have to put the thesis statement at the front. The thesis statement is your statement of the problem you're going to solve, the question you're going to answer, what your paper is going to be about. Usually that's one of the first things that you say when you write that paper. Here John is, at the very end of his gospel, and now we find out his thesis statement. Now we find out his purpose for writing the gospel. John says to us, you know, I made some decisions about what stories, true stories, to include about Jesus and which not to include. I made some decisions about how to organize my gospel. And this was my guiding principle, John says, 
this is how I organize this whole book of the Bible. I want you to read this and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your Lord, that Jesus is your Messiah. Because he is. Jesus loves to subvert our expectations. Jesus is here, brothers and sisters, to change our to change our perspective. Jesus has no problem disagreeing with our what we have learned in the school of experience, and it's better to listen to what he says. The school of experience will tell you that you're nothing, that you're guilty, that you're unlovable. Jesus says, that's not true. I love you. You are not nothing. You are my child. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are part of my family. Experience will tell you that death is the end, that there's nothing left, there's nothing afterwards, that there's nothing but sadness to this life. And Jesus says, that's not true. I have guaranteed that that is not true. Experience will tell you that the dead stay dead. Jesus says, I didn't. And what that means for you is peace. The peace of knowing that you are right with the holy God in heaven. The peace of knowing that your price has been paid, that you are bought and made a part of the family of God through faith in Christ. The peace of knowing that Christ is in control, that he does love you, that there is a plan for your life. The peace of knowing that your experience might steer you in the wrong direction, but it's better to listen to Jesus. Because by these words written in this book, you can have peace. John was giving the purpose for his gospel, but inspired by God to write these words, he was really giving the purpose, the thesis statement for the whole Bible. The whole Bible is compiled of stories and messages from people who were there. People who saw these things. People who were there when it happened. And they're writing it down for you. God inspired them and moved them to write this down so that you can know that you are forgiven. So that you can know that you are loved. So that you can know that heaven is waiting for you. And you can know that God is with you every second of every day. But there may be some temptations to fall back into a Thomas way of thinking. Of thinking, yeah, this is all good, what this book says, but what if we had a little bit extra? What if there was an archaeological find or, or somebody came up with a new line of argumentation or somebody found a fossil or a scroll that just confirmed what this book says? Wouldn't that be cool? If that's us, maybe we need to calm down a little bit. God has given us all the proof that we need. The eyewitness testimony inspired by him. If somebody does find something or discovers a book or whatever, maybe that'll be kind of cool. But we already had everything we needed all along. You already have everything you need to know how God feels about you. You have everything you need to know that God loves you. You have everything you need to know peace. Right here. That's it. Jesus is not demanding that you have blind faith 
But when you start to shake, when you start to become like Thomas, remember how Jesus reacted to Thomas. He just pointed him to the truth. He didn't chew Thomas out for doubting. He didn't chew Thomas out for having weakness. And he doesn't do that to you either. He just points you back to his truth. And that's the answer. But Jesus is not afraid to give proof. In fact, Jesus gives us peace through proof. Amen. Would you pray?